Um, if you can turn with me to Acts chapter 26. It's just two short verses, verses 27 and 28. Acts chapter 26, verse 27 and 28. While you're getting it, just let me pray again. Father, would you still our hearts right now? Lord, you said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And Lord, we're just standing here tonight to obey your command. And Lord, there may be someone sitting under the sound of my voice that as yet does not know the Savior. Tonight, may this be the gate of heaven for them. I ask these things, giving you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled my sermon tonight, Almost a Christian. Almost a Christian. Verse 27. In fact, just let me give you a bit of background. The Apostle Paul here has been imprisoned for his faith in Jesus Christ. He's at a place called Caesarea Philippi, and he's been brought out to be tried before a king in that region called King Agrippa. Paul, in the early verses of this chapter, goes on to give his powerful testimony about how he met the Lord Jesus himself on the Damascus Road. And at the end of his discussion or his address to Agrippa, he challenges him in verse 27 and says these words, King Agrippa, do you believe the law and the prophets? I know that you do. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost you persuaded me to be a Christian. Friends, these words spoken by this king, I feel are amongst the most tragic in all of Scripture. Why? Because they suggest that Agrippa was on the very threshold of entering that state of eternal life. He was so close to possessing the greatest gift that a man, a woman, or a young person can ever possess only when to be standing at the door, he takes a step back. Almost, he said, Paul, you persuaded me. Friend, hear me tonight, it's a tragedy, but it is possible to stand at the door of heaven and yet never enter into eternal life. It's possible to have God prompt you time after time, yet never take that final step to become a Christian. That's exactly what was happening to Agrippa. I don't believe for a moment that this was the first time that God had spoken to this particular man. How do I know this? Because in verse 27, Paul challenges him and said, Agrippa, do you believe the law and the prophets? In other words, do you believe that the Bible is true? Paul goes on to say this, I know that you do. It seems Paul knew something of this man's open stance towards Christianity. How? Well, perhaps some of the other Christians in the region had told of how Agrippa was sympathetic to the Christian faith. Perhaps in that moment, God enlightens Paul to give him this insight into Agrippa's heart. Or perhaps, and I've seen this happen plenty of times, as Paul gives his masterful address, the very conviction was shown on Agrippa's face. We cannot tell exactly how Paul knew Agrippa was not far away from the kingdom. Yet we know he was ripe for salvation. And yet, as I said before, when standing on the very threshold, 
he takes a step back. He says, good sermon, Paul, but you almost persuaded me. I wonder, am I talking to someone in this place tonight and God has been prompting you like this man? Your heart has been open. You're but a step from becoming a Christian. Friend, my prayer is that you would not leave this service tonight saying, Stuart, I enjoyed your sermon, but you almost persuaded me. No, I pray that in the words of Paul in verse 29, that you would all together be as many of us are in here tonight, fully-fledged followers of Jesus Christ. But this happens today. There are modern Agrippas in every church and in every walk of society, those who almost get there but never quite take that final step. Who are they? There's four categories of people. Here's the first category that I find more, than, more times than not always remain almost Christians. They're the children of Christian parents. How often are these always almost Christians? It's alarming how many of our children are so close and so familiar with the things of God, yet never make that final commitment. They come to church week after week, and some of us, like my kids, they come under duress. Anybody else? <laughs> they hear the sermons until they're coming out their ears. They could pray the prayers for us. They know the songs. They may even join in. And as they do, some of us as parents can sometimes just take it for granted that they are followers of Jesus. But in many instances, they're not. Because they haven't made that personal decision to follow Jesus Christ for themselves. And I want to address teenagers that are brought up in the church tonight. I want to tell you, young person, I love you. But because I love you, I'm going to be honest with you. I want to challenge you. Almost getting there, almost being persuaded is not enough. Coming through the doors of the church week on week won't save you. Listening to the sermons, singing the songs, all of these won't save you. You must take that final step through the door of heaven and have Christ as your own and personal Savior. Do you know what one man said to me one time? And there was never a truer word said. He said, Stuart Elliot, when you're preaching the gospel, always remember that God does not have grandchildren. Young man, young woman, you cannot go to heaven on your mom and dad's ticket. You must be a fully-fledged follower of Jesus Christ. And then there's a second category of people. They're what I call the regular church attender. Notice, not the Christian, but the regular church attender. How often are these always almost Christians? And I've seen millions of these, and perhaps so have you. Regular sermon tasters, they breeze in and out when they please, usually out of a sense of bogus fear. They enter into the singing. They enjoy the sermon. Sometimes they can be moved to tears as they mingle in the holy atmosphere. But you know what I found? They come to church events and enjoy it. But although they're enjoying it, their enjoyment and even their tears and even their emotions never bring them to the point of repentance. I wonder, am I talking to someone like this tonight? You come here, and no doubt you get a warm welcome from the leaders. You take pride in being at the services. Friend, hear me, I am speaking out of love tonight. But because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth also. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Know what I've wrote here? Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. <laughs> 
You come through the doors. You're almost there. You're on the premises. But can I ask you tonight, friend, are you standing on the promises of God? You can have all the fun with us as Christians. You can enjoy the good times, and no doubt we will welcome you. But if you're not going to accept Christ, then you're going to attend, you're going to fellowship, and you may even laugh yourself or cry yourself to a lost eternity. No doubt Agrippa attended synagogue. No doubt he was moved as Paul spoke. Maybe his heart was enlightened. Perhaps he even wiped away a tear. But as the court adjourned that day, he, he fell short of committing his life Externals are not enough. Christian means Christ inside. Stuart, you're speaking to me. Well, friend, I pray that you would all, not just almost, but all together, me as many of us are tonight, a fully-fledged follower of Jesus Christ. And then there's a third category of people. They're what I call the religious churchgoer. <laughs> These, again, are different from the regular church attender who understand that they're sinners but just won't commit. The religious, however, feel that their own good works merit them favor before God. And I've seen these. These are ten a penny. I've been confirmed. <laughs> My name's on the church roll. I've been sprinkled as an infant. I've given to the church. I've fed the poor. I'm a good person. Hello? <laughs> Hear me. It doesn't matter if you've been confirmed, baptized as an infant. It doesn't matter if you've given to the poor or the church. It doesn't matter if you're a good person. No doubt that you are. Or even if your name's on the church rolls. You know what I've written here? It might as well be on a sausage roll. <laughs> because if Christ is not living in your heart by faith, then you're always almost a Christian. Religion cannot save you. Your own good works, your own righteousness cannot save you. They're always almost they all fall short of the glory of God. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. My religious friend, if you're to take that final step, you need not to trust on your own merits, but on the merits of Christ's sacrifice for you, for this is the only thing that God accepts. Religion will always keep you almost a Christian. Then there's a fourth category, and they're what I call the husband and wife of a believing partner. I'm thinking of my wife's grandfather here. His name's George Perry. George went to the Whitewell Church that I used to go to in Belfast, and, you know, George used to come every week, and he heard some of the most fiery sermons from the ministry of Pastor James McConnell. And you'd heard him singing the songs, and he was a great guy. And after the, after the sermon, do you know what he did every week? He used to go out into the foyer and stand at the doorway as we suit on, and he used to shake hands with everybody. And a guy came up to me one night and says, is he a pastor? I says, he's not even a Christian. And do you know what? He loved to be around. He loved to be in the atmosphere. He was almost there. But as he has continued to harden his heart, the voice of God has grown dim. As the scripture says, in his life, the summer has ended, the harvest has passed in his latter years, and he's still not saved. Maybe you're like that tonight. You've got a partner who's a Christian, 
And when they're around the house, you're so familiar with the things of God. They bring you to church. You've heard the sermons. You understand. You've even been touched, but I've drew back from committing, and now those same sermons don't have the same effect on you. Friend, hear me. I pray that you would not continue on in your years in that almost state, for you also will be lost. And so here's four categories of people who remain always almost Christians. The children of believing parents, the regular church attender who never quite get over the mark, the, the religious church goer who think, well, I'm okay, my good works will merit me favor with God, and then the husband and wife of a believing partner, always almost Christians. But then I want to finish by talking about three reasons why people remain always almost Christians. And here's the first one. As I've went on in ministry, I've found that people remain always almost Christians because they're looking for a visual sign or some sort of emotion before they'll make that final commitment. I was at a, a dinner one night and I gave my testimony and I was out at the door saying cheerio to people and, and as I did, there was a young man came to me and he said, Stuart, you really challenged me there. And I said, Amy, a Christian? He says, I'm not. And I says, well, what's keeping you? He says, my mom and dad are Christians. He says, but I'm just waiting for that moment, you know, that thunderbolt or that, that sign. And I turned to him and I says, with all love and respect, I says, you're going to be waiting for a while. Because emotions has got nothing to do with it. I said, the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I said, take that step to follow Christ and the emotions will come later. And I can only pray that that young man went and took my advice. The Lord Jesus encouraged the Jews of his day to believe by faith. And they replied by saying, Except we see a sign from heaven, we will not believe that you are the Messiah. And do you know what the Lord Jesus said to these people? He said, he said this, he said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign and no sign shall be given them except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so shall the son of man be three days in the heart of the earth. Do you know what the Lord Jesus was saying here? If you're looking for a sign, the only sign I'm going to give you is my death, burial, and resurrection. If you don't believe that, you will never become a Christian. What am I saying tonight? God requires faith. In Luke 16, we hear the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Who told this story? The loving Jesus. He told this parable, the one that we love. And in this um, particular parable, we're told that there was the rich man who fared sumptuously every day. In our language, he was a millionaire. And there lay at his gate every day a beggar called Lazarus, who were told just wanted to be fed with the crumbs which fell from this rich man's table. Not only did he get a crumb from him, but we're told the rich man's dogs came and licked his sores. But the Lord Jesus talks about how there was a day of reckoning. The rich man died and we're told he was buried. Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, another place for heaven. But the rich man died and he was buried. And the minute he, he closed his eyes in this life and opened his eyes in the next, we're told that, and this is Jesus saying this, that in hell or Hades, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. 
And this rich man seen Father Abraham, the father of faith, afar off, and Lazarus the beggar in his bosom, being comforted. And the rich man cries, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may just dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And listen to what Abraham said to this rich man. And I think these words are tragic. He said, son, remember. Remember what? Remember that in your lifetime you received all of these good things, and likewise Lazarus these evil things, but now the tables have turned. He is being comforted and you are being tormented. Isn't it a tragedy tonight that those in a lost eternity have their memory? They remember the opportunities that they'd spurned. And the rich man then says, well, if I can't get out of here, there's a great chasm. If I can't get out of here, would you do something for me? Would you send Lazarus the beggar back from the dead? Because in the land of the living, or where we are now, I have five brothers. And if he, listen to this, if he could just, if they could just see Lazarus back from the dead, then they would surely believe. Listen to what Jesus replied. Or Abraham replied, he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they don't believe the Bible, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Friend, what am I saying? Waiting for a sign is always going to keep you almost a Christian. Then there's another reason why some remain always almost Christians. And thank you for your attention tonight. Here's the second reason, not just because they're looking for a sign, but this one I found a lot. It's because they're waiting for another time. That was Felix, another Roman governor in Acts chapter 24. Like Festus, he was a man who heard the apostle Paul speak. And in Acts 24 and 25, he calls for Paul and we're told that Paul reasoned with him. Listen to what Paul spoke to him about. He spoke to him about righteousness, the need for right living, temperance, self-control, and the coming judgment. And we're told as Paul spoke to him of these things, Acts chapter 24 and 25, we're told that Felix began to tremble. He came under conviction. But here's what he says to Paul. Go away for now. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. This man was very presumptuous because that convenient season, we're not told ever came. Felix leaves Paul in chains. Festus comes on the scene. He goes off into another region, perhaps, and out of the pages of the Bible and into history. And we don't know whether that convenient season ever came. And folks, this is the greatest gamble of all almost being there, then putting it off to another time. Friend, I want to say to you tonight, you might not have that other time. This might be the last time that you ever hear the gospel. Tomorrow is not promised to you. And that's not a scare tactic from a preacher. That's the truth. Do you ever hear the story of the apprentice devils? I stole this from another preacher, but I want to tell it tonight. It's not a real story. It's just a made-up one, but it has a, has a fantastic point to it. Satan, the prince of demons, is wanting to recruit two apprentice devils in his school. And he calls the first one in. 
and he says, what would you tell a man, a woman, or a young person in order to keep them from becoming a Christian? And the first apprentice devil says, Master Satan, I would tell them that there's no God. And Satan says, you don't qualify. He says, well, why? He says, well, everyone knows there's a God. There might be those out there that call themselves atheists, but what they really are is agnostics. They just don't have all the facts. But Romans chapter 1 says that the very law of God is written on the conscience, and the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in all that we see around us in creation. In other words, they have no excuse. Everyone deep in the most recesses of their being knows that there is a creator because of the creation. Sorry, sends him out. Second one comes in. What would you tell a man, a woman, or a young person in order to keep them from becoming a Christian? And the second apprentice devil leans over the table and says to Satan, Master Satan, I would tell him to come back next week. And Satan said, you're the one I want. I'll listen to it every time. He whispered that to a man in Alborough one night. You wonder why I preach the way I preach? Here's why I preach the way I preach. I was in Alborough in East Yorkshire when I was playing for Hull City, and I remember preaching, uh, and then at the end, I stand at the door to say goodbye to people, and an older man came out, and he says, young man, that was very challenging. And I said to him, sir, are you a Christian? And he said, I'm not a Christian. And I says, well, why not? He says, I just haven't made that decision you know, but I'm going, to, I'm going to get there. I said, sir, please, please don't leave it too long. This is a true story, folks. I'm getting up into the pulpit to preach in Living Hope Church the next week. One of our congregation, Mary Yorkovich, comes down the aisle before I begin to preach and says, Stuart, were you in Albury during the week? And I says, I was, Mary. She says, were you speaking to an elderly man at the door? And I says, I was, Mary. He needed saved. She says, his family has sent a message to you to say that he took a massive heart attack this week in his driveway and he's been launched in into eternity. I broke my heart, folks. Because I don't know where that man is tonight. I was doing an event at Motherwell Football Club called Encounter at the Well that night. There was 35 people filled in decision cards and handed back to the churches, the pastor. And two years after that event, I found out about a young man, a pastor's son who was there that night. Again, as I said earlier, he becomes so hardened to the gospel, he just would not respond. And that night, he finally surrendered to Christ. His dad sent a message to me two years later when I came back to Scotland to say, thank you, son, that you never failed that night to declare the whole counsel of God because my son heard the gospel and he was killed in a car accident a couple of weeks later. But as daddy stood over the grave of his own wee child and cried tears of sorrow and yet tears of joy that his son had went out into eternity and it was well with his soul. Folks, it's not just a scare tactic. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And that's why I know this might be an uncomfortable sermon, but I'm preaching for a verdict tonight. I think they need a sign. Everyone thinks they have more time. And then here, as I finish, is the last reason. There are those who remain always almost Christians, and this is the biggie. Do you know Why? because they just can't let this world leave this world behind. You see, that's the ultimate reason Herod Agrippa couldn't take that final step. No doubt he admired Paul. 
No doubt he's secretly inclined to the scriptures of truth, but ultimately the world with its sinful desires meant much more to this man than the things of God. And he's on the brink. Can't you see it? Let me paint the picture for you as a finish. He's in the courtroom. You know, Paul's the one standing in chains, but who really is the one that's free and in chains? Agrippa's in chains. The one, that, the one that's free is Paul. And he's there in pomp. Festus is at his side. His wife's at his side, perhaps. And, and there's a battle going on. As Paul's preaching, Agrippa's thinking, tonight's the night or today's the day. I'm coming. But then he thinks to himself, hold on a wee second. If I pledge my allegiance to this heavenly King Jesus, I'm going to have to go back to Rome and tell the Emperor Caesar that I have now pledged my allegiance to another emperor, another king. And then as he looks to either his left or his right, he sees his sister, and he was in an incestuous relationship. And as he said to himself, I'm not willing to give that up. And I'll have to if I become a Christian. He wants to come, but the tool of the world is just too strong. Can't you hear him? Paul, almost you persuaded me. As I finish, thank you so much for your attention. I wonder, am I talking to an Agrippa tonight? You've been touched by the gospel. You admire the people of God, but you cannot follow because it would mean you announcing your allegiance to other things and other people. Friend, hear me, I say in love as I close. If you can't turn your back on these things, you will only always be almost a Christian. And you'll live and you'll die living for the temporary things and then go out into eternity lost. As Paul poured his heart out to this king, urging him to turn, I also plead with you tonight, I urge you in this house who are almost there, not to just almost become a Christian, but right now, not tomorrow, be all together as many of us are tonight, fully-fledged followers of Jesus Christ. Four categories of people. Do you fit into that category tonight? Well, sir, lady, why don't you take that final step? Three reasons. Are they the reasons that you've been given? Why don't you take that final step? I want to tell you something. See, the night I spoke about earlier on, I became a Christian. It was a delight to serve the Lord when I look at what he'd done for me. It's not a, grudge to, a grudgery thing to serve Christ. It's a wonderful thing. And if you come to the Savior tonight, he'll be ready to forgive. He'll be ready to pardon. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. I pray that if this word is spoken to you, you would come to speak to one of the leaders. You would come to speak to myself. And we'd be glad to point you to the Savior. Thank you so much for your attention. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand it back. And I don't want anybody to throw anything at me at the door when I'm on my way, okay? Let me pray. Father, we understand tonight that you're the God of all love and the God of all comfort and the God of all grace. We understand that you're full of grace tonight. And in fact, Lord, we understand that even right now, you're sitting upon the throne of grace. May everyone under the sound of my voice understand that there is grace, there is mercy, 
available tonight. But Lord, we have to keep this balance because we understand that there is coming a day for every one of us. It's appointed unto men once to die after this, the judgment. We understand that that throne of grace that you're sitting on one day will be a throne of judgment. And Lord, all I would pray tonight as I close is that that one young person, not one man, one woman, under the sound of my voice, will go out into the night saying, almost you persuaded me to be a Christian. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. And speak tonight very clearly, even when my voice and other voices have fallen silent. We thank you for your presence here. We ask all of these things, giving you thanks for Jesus' name's sake. And all of God's people say it tonight. Amen. Thank you so much for your attention. God bless you.